Welcome to Gut Wisdom, a show about work, life, and how to succeed in both. It's radio that resonates. Now, here are your hosts, Deirdre Koppelman and J.G. John Gassman. In work and in life, we are constantly faced with rapid change. Some of us respond creatively to adapt to the change and even help with creative breakthroughs to make the change happen. Yet, others feel more comfortable in the space of, if it's not broken, don't fix it. What is the it that makes each one of us respond differently to change? What do you think, JJ? It depends. Are you a natural risk taker or are you someone who typically plays it safe? Which one are you? A little bit of both. It depends on the situation. Do you trust your gut when it comes to that? Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll see. So tonight we're going to hear from the author of Unsafe Thinking, Jonah Sachs, uh, is with us in studio. And there's this middle ground between, I believe, two ways of reacting to change. And Jonah, when his mic is on, I could see he's chomping to to break it down for us. But... uh, I'm excited to to hear what uh, what Jonah has to say, JJ. I'm excited too to hear what Jonah has to say because we're going to learn from his research a lot of wisdoms, and that's with a Z, on how to bounce back, how to be resilient, embrace risk, how to inspire kind of out of the box or unsafe thinking in a safe way. Which is sort of a hmm. How do you how do you be unsafe in a safe way? Right. I know my thinking is out of the box. I, I think it's safe thing. I don't know. I don't know, JJ. No judgment, though, but Jonah will tell us. So, listeners, stay tuned for a great show. This is Gut Wisdom, only on WCBS News Radio 880. WCBS. Delays of two hours plus. With drive time traffic every five minutes, live from Chopper 880. We're just getting the first look here. Plus, all the latest news. Several buildings have been evacuated. WCBS News Radio 880. Did you know that sometimes the more expertise we have in something, the bigger the blind spots are as well? Absolutely. Yeah. And tonight, we'll hear how anxiety can actually be fuel for creativity, as well as when to trust your gut instinct and when to challenge it. You're listening to Gut Wisdom. I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your co-host, John Gassman, a.k.a. J.G. What's up, J.G.? I always trust my gut. I go with that little inner voice that I have. I wonder how many other people actually actually do that. So joining us tonight, as Deirdre mentioned, we have Jonah Sachs. He is the author of Unsafe Thinking, How to Be Nimble and Bold When You Need, when you need It Most. Mm. And he's the co-founder of Free Range Solutions, a brand and innovation company. Yes, and Jonah interviewed over 100 rule-breaking innovators. I love it. <clears throat> yep, to find out, guess that, get this, what makes them tick? And some of the people, I mean, they're from all walks of life. We've got a rock climber, a chess grandmaster, and even an MBA coach, just to name a few that were in uh, Jonah's research. So, Jonah, welcome to Gut Wisdom. Thanks for having me. I can't wait for this conversation. I, you need to talk louder so I can hear you. Come closer. <laughs> yeah, that's better. That's better, go. Jonah. Now you're in, now you're right. in wisdom now world. Okay. JG, you always start off with a good question. So uh, it's kind of a fascinating topic, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what you mean by, quote, unsafe thinking, what it means, and why you decided to write a book about it. Yeah, you know, we live in this world of constant change, and that means that we're always challenged to change with it. 
But the human brain is so programmed to think in patterns and to remember what worked well last time. You know, we evolved in these not terribly fast changing climates where creativity wasn't so important, but, you know, efficiency was, was more important. Mm-hmm. But now when the world changes us around us and we're challenged to change, what tends to happen is we seize up and we actually start acting in the same old ways, even though we're telling ourselves we're changing. And so we have see businesses and individuals making incremental changes from the outside, it looks like they're going nowhere. And they think that they're pushing themselves to the edge, but they're not going far enough. And so I really experienced that in my own life, running an advertising agency, and uh, we can talk about that later. But um, you know, when you have to challenge and change yourself and your brain is screaming no, how do you actually do it effectively uh, without leaving behind all you've learned to get to this point in your career so far? And I would imagine also, how do you do that for yourself and for your team or or the people that are watching you? Because you've got to get them to sort of embrace the change. And it doesn't sound like it's just a small change. It sounds like radical change. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we can't really create anything of value completely on our own. But the psychology of groups is actually pushing us more and more towards that safe thinking. So even if we change ourselves we got to work in you know, large or small, small organizations pushing people to that edge, and that can be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. But luckily, there are ways that have been studied to do it. And you know, I use a lot of storytelling, the people that I met, but also a lot of science to kind of uncover some tools people can use to, to get there. So what exactly, just going back to JG's question, so you did, you did a research project, in effect, right? So what was there a specific catalyst, something happened to you specifically? personally or professionally that kind of pushed you into this, I want I want to research this concept. Yeah. So I've always been this kind of gut instinct entrepreneur. I always figured if I was in some kind of large organization, I would flame out or not be able to follow the rules. So when I was 24, I started my own company, which was a social change kind of advertising agency. Mm-hmm. And we were exploring how to use the internet to create change, how to get people to watch these little stories, these little video stories, pass them around. We launched them to 100 people and then it became 1,000 and soon tens of millions of people long before YouTube were watching our videos. And we were just kind of making it up as we went along, which was incredibly fun and really fit that kind of gut instinct I loved. Then something really unexpected happened, which was people started asking me, how do you do what you do? And putting me up on these stages and shoving a (laughs) microphone in my hand. And so I went from being this explorer to really being this expert. And that felt really good. And I felt like I was getting somewhere in my career. Um, I even wrote a book about storytelling, traveled around the world, and then suddenly, you know, started having a lot more answers and questions. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really playing anymore. I was getting much more serious, bringing a lot more rules to my organization, disciplining people who weren't following it, and we were growing, so I needed more predictability. And one day, I woke up and was just like, we are no longer this free-ranging, open, fun place to work. And people were starting to quit, and I was miserable, even though the business was growing. And we were really dependent on this like safe way of thinking that I had developed. Um, and I didn't know how to change because I could see we were going to go over a cliff if we didn't change. But change at any given moment was too difficult. Interesting. So I said, you know, what do I got to do? So I started talking to people who did this really well. Got, you know, made a, almost a full-time job out of doing this research and reading the sciences and uh, broke myself out of those patterns and, you know, came forth with think- things I think anyone can use. Hmm. So why do you think people would want to think or act in ways that are unsafe? How do you get to get them to even just accept, yeah, let me let me consider let me consider this? Well, I think that we all perceive threats to our business, to our careers at all times. You know, it's not news that whatever industry we're in is is changing quickly and that the 
more and more competition at all times, more and more, um, you know, even through success, the better you do, the more sort of threat you feel because you're on a bigger stage. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone has that sense that they want to keep up. Yeah. But, you know, how you actually do that often manifests as, well, I'll, you know, I'll try something a little different. I'll collaborate with a little bit of a different team. Not, I'm going to look inward and really challenge myself. Um, that's where people kind of tend to fall down. They want to bring their old self into new situations. And what I'm sort of saying is like, let's look, look inward first, use those parts of our brain we've kind of left on the shelf and gotten dusty for a while and see what new things we can unlock in ourselves before we start unlocking it in the world around us. So change yourself to better change the world is what I'm, I'm offering. It's not for everybody for sure. No. Some people are very conservative. Yeah. Um, you know, can't reach everyone, but I'm hoping people who are on that cusp <laughs> are going to really be able to use this book to, to unlock their creativity. And at a minimum, it sounds like even if you're somebody who's naturally creative and does think sort of out of the box, that <clears throat> you could get trapped in that box or those boxes sort of being similar to previous boxes. So almost like, yeah. right? So uh, absolutely. if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just, we, we get really good. Our intuition gets really, really good if, if we're playing the same game. But when the rules of the game change, our intuition actually doesn't necessarily change with it. So, you know, take a chess grandmaster who's got amazing intuition because they've played thousands of games. They can literally see the board a thousand times faster than a beginner. And their intuition will tell them what to do. If they're playing a beginner, they'll crush them without any thought. Right. If you change the rules of the chess game, though, the grandmaster is going to have a huge amount of trouble adapting to that new game and may even convince himself some studies shows that he's still playing the same old game. And but that's he's not. Where, but he's not, right. So we can have great gut instinct, but when the world changes around us, that great gut instinct can actually start just looking like bias, locked and, in and that we can't get out of. And I would like to echo that. It's so funny because this week uh, I had, you know, I mean, every week there's radical change in my life and in business or whatever. Sometimes I create it. Sometimes it just comes my way. And I was speaking with one of my sisters, one of my older sisters, and she said to me, well, what does your gut tell you? And usually, and, and listeners, I've talked about this, you know, more than once. I've trusted my gut instinct. That's how I've made every decision since I was a kid. And I couldn't, I said, do you know what? I can't answer the, I, I can't hear my gut. And my guess is that's because <clears throat> I haven't been in this situation before or I'm not applying something from the past or it's just too radical or too many things going on, but I couldn't hear my gut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe your book is going to help me. Yeah, possibly. What do you think, JJ? It's a fascinating conversation because I'm one, I reinvent things constantly. I don't like the norm. I don't like to stick to the routine because otherwise I get tired of it. And that's how I become innovative. That's how I create new things, new ideas, new concepts, new strategies, is by looking at things very differently. Years ago, I worked with a guy, his name R. Douglas Carter, and he wrote a book called uh, Clients Forever. And he told me, one of the best things you could do, JG, just switch your seat. I said, what? And he said, get up, walk to the other side of the room, and see things from a different perspective. So in your case, with the chess master, he's seen it so many times, he's used to playing it, but he doesn't look at it from another perspective at times. So we all fall into that rut or that routine of relying on past experiences to dictate you know, that something is going to occur again. So in your book, when you talk about some of the uh, traits and characteristics that are usually associated with creative leaders, that they're outdated, what are some of those particular characteristics 
that cause people to go a little off track? Yeah, so you know, one image of leadership that we might have is decisive. We, we have this image of decisive leaders in, you know, who, who kind of issue orders and always know what to do, and everyone follows them. That is a sort of main image of leadership that we've inherited from the, the previous century. Yeah. And many people who step into a leadership role feel that they have to do that to have credibility. You know, I found that not only do people report that they're more likely and inspired to follow leaders who are humble and have more questions than answers. So, you know, people around you actually want that from you. They want that humility. Um, but that the more we feel we have to put ourselves in a pedestal, the more expert blindness we take on, the more, you know, mistakes we make. So I tell the story in the book that I just loved because this is an Indian executive taking over a 56,000 person company, large IT outsourcing company. And the company was really in trouble. The world was changing. These new competitors were coming in the market. He was taking over in a time of crisis. And in India, CEOs are like emperors. But this guy knew that he didn't have the answers. So he got up on stage to, to address the first 5,000 leaders in the company. And he wanted to prove to himself and to them that he was a different kind of leader. So instead of getting his PowerPoint going, he uh, turned on some Bollywood music. And this guy is a <laughs> terrible dancer. And uh, he, you know, I watched on YouTube. Like, I, I cringe to watch this. But like, he starts dancing in the aisles. He's sweating. He's like got two left feet for sure. He's a mess. And everyone starts tittering and being nervous. But then they start dancing with him and laughing and clapping. And when he talks about that move, he looks back and he says, yeah, I was trying to get down to the level of my, you know, get off that pedestal for my employees. But I was really doing it for myself. Because if I could make a fool of myself on day one, I would never have to feel that I was pretending to be something that I'm not. <clears throat> he tripled the revenues of the company. And, you know, he says the dance started it all. So I love that, you know. That's that awesome. Kind of thing. Yeah. You, yeah, go ahead. You look, uh, yeah, it goes back to getting out of that routine that you're in, sitting in that one seat you've always sat in, and you see the same thing over and over again from the same vantage point. You have to switch the role, yeah, look at things through a different lens, try different things. So, what if you make a mistake? That's okay, yeah, you yeah. can go back, you can fix it, you, you could try it again, you get a do over, mm. you, you can get to do it over. Mm-hmm. Well, hold that thought for a second, listeners. Listen up <clears throat> if you are one of the first five emailers, I know you love this on Gut Wisdom. It's another Gut Wisdom gift. Uh, We have a copy of Jonah's book, Unsafe Thinking. So you can go ahead, email me, not while you're driving, at dk at gutwisdom, G-U-T-W-I-Z-D-O-M dot com uh, for a chance to get the uh, Jonah's book. And Jonah, when we come back from from the quick break, I'm just curious, do do you think that people who are naturally creative have these issues? Do you think all people have these issues in terms of pushing themselves even further? Or is it just people who like to kind of play it safe that have the difficulty? Well, you'll have to come back. (laughs) You you were almost going to say it was a great question. Okay, stay tuned. More drive time traffic. A collision approaching the Tappan Zee Bridge. More often. Triborough Bridge is the problem. Weekday mornings and afternoons on WCBS 880. You're never more than five minutes away from the latest traffic news. A lot of volume across the upper level now at the uh, GWB. When you need to know, we've got you covered. Inbound Midtown Tunnel, there's a stall past the toll. Traffic and weather together, plus the new bridge and tunnel update, only on New York. Sports Traffic Station, WCBS News Radio 880. Do you know any stereotypical innovators? Wow, that's a big word. Stereotypical innovators. Hmm. Well, I know a bunch of them because they're kind of kooky, they're a little out of the box. 
highly creative um, and they're unique and they're actually fun people to be around they have so many different ideas but I also wonder if some of these stereotypical innovators the way they think is somewhat out of date so I'm John Gassman aka JG we are here in studio with Deirdre Koppelman, the host of Gut Wisdom Radio that resonates. Mm-hmm. And we have a special guest tonight. We sure do. Who do we have? Come Jonah on. Sachs. Jonah Sachs, author of Unsafe Thinking. So, Jonah, welcome back. I know we were chatting a little bit before, and you were just going to give me an answer. Yeah. What was the question? That's a good question. Okay. Question was, <laughs> so when you talk about thinking unsafely, right, in a safe way, my question is, some people naturally think out of the box. They naturally, you know, they're creative. I don't know if they're all kooky. I think that is stereotypical of creatives. They're not all kooky and crazy. Um, you know, let's just take creatives. Is it easier, do you think, for um, creative types to just take those risks? Or do they fall into the same sort of bucket as people who like to play it safely and and just stick to what they know that works or worked in the past Right, because of it, uh, that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when I started doing my research, in some ways I was disappointed with the people I came across. I was really influenced by that Apple Think Different ad. You know, here's to the crazy oh, ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the people who don't care what anyone thinks, who you right. know, change the world because they don't know what else to do. Like that idea that there are just these crazy people out there. and Break the rules. Breaking the rules. That's just what they do. And I talked to these people who had these really crazy ideas. You know, I talked to these guys who started a, a charity where you give away $1,000 at a time through people's cell phone to the poorest people in Africa, no questions asked. You know, totally counterintuitive, wild idea, have raised $40 million, one of the top-rated charities in the world now. You know, I expected them to be these, you know, brash, out-of-the-box innovators. They were kind of like econ- economist nerds, you know, who saw the world <laughs> in a different place. So funny. With a different way. Yeah, I mean, they, they love the data. I, I, I spoke to the woman who helped CVS, um, you know, break through and stop selling tobacco. And, you know, how do you make such a, a crazy move taking $2 billion off your books right. of, of, of income? You know, actually, she found a way to add more money by stopping telling, selling tobacco, which was a fascinating story. These people don't describe themselves as crazy and brash and just loving to take risks. They have the same anxiety and fear that we all do. Um, I tell the story of Gandhi, who's probably the most amazing innovator of the 20th century, or one of them, who was so shy he couldn't even open his mouth when he was a lawyer in court. He couldn't utter a word for the first the 30 years of his life. He was f- afraid to speak in public. Wow. All these people feel the same fear, I believe, that we normal human beings fe- feel. Um, it's accessing that courage. It's reframing fear as fuel for creativity. It's reminding yourself that nothing you've ever done that's been creative and bold has ever come without moving towards what most scared you. Uh, and uh, I think that that is the so difference. You need, so, so you need fear. You need a little bit of fear. fear. Is yeah. Good. yeah, if you're always doing things that don't scare you, the chances are you're not being creative at all. So I, I believe in the wacky ones that are out there. But you know, even wacky people, in a way, need to challenge themselves to work in slightly different ways because a lot of crazy so people wind up... So that's the answer up, to my question. A lot of crazy people wind up getting themselves to a certain level but can't get far enough because they haven't learned how to really push their ideas forward within a, an organization or a mainstream world. So we can all challenge ourselves to get uncomfortable. Yeah. So I said this, I think, last week. Two, one step ahead, you're a genius. Two steps ahead, you're a crackpot. But I usually find that the crackpots, the ones that are two or three steps ahead, they're really the actual geniuses. And they're the ones that are willing to break the rules... Because 
they look at things from the perspective of what do I have to lose, mm. right? What do I have to lose? I have all to gain. I could do a redo, a makeup. A, it doesn't really matter. So from your experience in interviewing these people, how many people had these fears per se and they just basically said, what do I have to what do I have to lose? I have only to gain from being a little out of the box. You know, I did not encounter people who were entirely immune or had hit such rock bottom that they were like, I fear no failure at all. One of the, one of the people I did meet uh, is named Julie Wainwright. She presided over Pets.com as it collapsed. And um, she had a pretty bad low in terms of failure. She was, you know, a young um, CEO. Her company started to fall apart. And it was so embarrassing because of that sock puppet. I don't know if you remember that sock sure. puppet reporter with Pets.com. She became like the, they became the poster child for, for dot-com failure. And her husband left her. She had to fire 100 people and close down her company all in the same day. Oh. And, uh, you know, the press was camped out on her lawn. She became the symbol of failure, basically. And still, Pets.com is the symbol of failure. Um, she got to a point in her life, though, where she was really seasoned by that. And she started another business. It failed. And at that point, she was like, all she had left was her motivation to succeed and had lost her fear of failure. Now she runs a billion dollar uh, startup uh, called The Real Real, which is a consignment company. Oh, yeah. I know The Real Real. I know. So she's, you know, she's doing great. And she's not wow. remembered as that kind of failure. So I don't know what it takes. I, I do think that it does take a certain getting to that edge of real failure yes. to start losing that fear. Um, and then still, you know, but but we still challenging ourselves always brings up some amount of desire to pull back and uh, confronting that or seeing that as knowing you're on your at the edge of your comfort zone when you feel like you want to pull back can be very empowering it I've been there didn't you have to have it didn't you run a major company at some point oh have, gosh. that story seems in, to resonate a hundred my people, career and I, one day you had to shut it down yeah, we, say goodbye we, to everybody we had a fire you know about a hundred people uh, it wasn't my company. I was the president of the company. I didn't own the company. And it was so sad because I had helped build that company from nothing. And a lot of time, effort, energy, passion, belief, and success. And it was external factors that created the situation where the business owner said, well, you know what? I'm in my mid-60s and I'm kind of done with this this ride of being a business owner. And so he shut it down. And after that... Um, is when I started my company. And I would say that went humming along for about five years, you know, exactly five years until October of 2008 was five years. Um, so Wahoo, I'm the small percentage of small businesses that uh, have survived. And then, of course, the economy crashed. So I almost went out of business then. And I would say in 2015, I split with a business partner. This is after I'd rebuilt the entire business. And... You know, we, we split up the partnership, which I was okay with. She wanted to retire, long story, and P.S., you know, I lost my biggest client and practically became insolvent, pretty much. And it was, now what? Well, you, you built it once before. People need what you have. Do it again. But this time, you're doing it without a safety net. This time, you're doing it without anything. And that is daunting. That, that almost questions your, your sanity. There were times I would ask myself, what am I doing? Close it down, get a job, forget it. You can bring so much value to somebody else. But it's the belief in knowing I've done this before, 
I'm not doing it the same way, though. And so it's turning around. Yeah. Does that sound like a familiar story? It does. And, <laughs> you know, in some ways I, I would say, like, look, if you don't want to feel that kind of crush, you know, that, that kind of crushing emotion of failure, you know, don't be an entrepreneur. That used to be a... <laughs> exactly. That, right. That, but that used Not to be a... Not for you. No. It, but it used to be a real choice. You could say, well, I'm just going to get a steady job that, that pays the bills and is safe. I got to say that, you know, the more I talk to people who, who are making that path. Yeah, there are no a, steady yeah, jobs. If they're not attuned <laughs> to the environment themselves and constantly reinventing themselves. Totally. You don't have that choice. So in some ways, I don't want to, you know, oversimplify. We're not all entrepreneurs, but we all do actually need to be challenging ourselves, changing ourselves and not waiting for our bosses to tell us, OK, you need to get these four new skills because we will be out of jobs if we don't. Um, kind of treat our own careers in an entrepreneurial way. Right. Yeah, change is happening so quickly yeah. that the days of working for one company for 40 years and then you collect, th- those, are, those are gone Over. by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Gone, gone, gone. So where do you think unsafe or out-of-the-box thinking is really needed most? I mean, I see it all around. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned a lot with politics, um, with businesses becoming more socially responsible and engaged in the world, and um, just the huge trends where businesses can take huge advantage, I think, of being more socially relevant. And that's a very hard shift for them to make. Um, and so that's a lot of my work is concerned with how do you take those bold risks, like what I mentioned at CVS, where you're, you're really doing the right thing and finding a way to make that better for business. I'd love to see more businesses. And better for, in, for others. Oh, yeah. For, well, the, for the, that's for the doing the right thing part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I see it in politics. I think that we're you know in a spot now where our problems are very big and we're reaching for these sort of easy solutions. We're also incredibly tribal. And so a lot of what I talk about in unsafe thinking, one of the most unsafe things you can do is collaborate with people who don't agree with you or don't, don't feel culturally like they fit with you. That's where there's a huge amount of science that shows there's creative gold when you get face-to-face with someone that you don't really like and you don't feel comfortable with. I'd love in politics yeah. to you know bring some unsafe ideas um, into that world, or not for me, but for anybody, to, to really get some unsafe collaborations going to move us past some of this very incremental and um, superficial change that we've been sort of playing with. Mm. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that anybody who's trying to build a business really today needs to get into that, you know, that headspace of how we look at our path to success, how we look at fa- failure, how we look at our fears, and how we look at really being nimble um, to protect ourselves. And when you talk about taking these risks, you don't mean just jumping off without understanding the impact or the repercussions of whatever actions you're going to take, right? Yeah. I mean, in a way, the the interesting thing about being unsafe is you sort of have to set the conditions of safety so that you can be unsafe. You know, you have sure. to, there's something called a you know, risk portfolio where if you're just taking chances in every portion of your life, you're probably going to burn yourself out. I talked yeah. to an inventor at Google X who says that when his work is really crazy and risky, he goes home and just watches Netflix. But when his work is really safe, he rides his motorcycle on the Pacific Coast Highway as fast as he can. Interesting. Because he, he's got to not be risking everything at all times. Yeah. And so how do you create organizations or a lifestyle that, that gives you that safety to take risks? Um, so, yeah, this is not a book about, you know, break everything. Right. It's a book, <laughs> kind of a book about break your patterns a little bit, um, but do it within a context that, that makes sense for you and um, doesn't overload you with risk. Hmm. Who is, uh, give us Who's a story. Who's your favorite? Who yeah. is your favorite person that you researched in, uh, in the book and why? I mean, the most fun story, I think, from the book is um, this guy named Antanas Mokas, who was the mayor of uh, Bogota, Colombia in the 1990s, when it was considered the worst city in the world, the mm-hmm. most highest murder rate, 
nobody would follow the laws. The police were incredibly corrupt. The politicians were corrupt. And some students uh, were about to have a riot at the university. And he gets up on stage. He's the chancellor um, before he was the mayor. He's the chancellor of the school. He gets up. He realizes he won't be heard over the microphone. And he can't do anything to stop the violence that's about to he erupt. can't say anything about, to, about the violence <laughs> about to erupt. And what he, but he's a mathematician and a philosopher. And he has this theory that when you interrupt someone's attention, and he says, put them in a different story than they think they're in, and then let them write the end of it, things can really change. And that's an interesting theory, but it doesn't mean that much. So he gets up on stage, he turns around, drops his pants and his underwear, <laughs> bends over, huh? and moons the crowd. And, you know, it's like not a not like a flash. It's like a real, you know, long-term moon. moon. Yeah, <laughs> moon, right? So, um, you know, and the crowd breaks up, and he gets fired from his job as the president of the university. But he then runs for mayor, and he wins by the largest mar margin of any mayor in history of the, of the city. And he comes in with all of these really wild but also based in behavioral economics ideas. Um, he replaces all the traffic cops with mimes. You might have heard of this, where um, you know no one's paying attention to the traffic cops. So instead of like arresting people and blowing whistles, mimes come out in the streets and mock people who are breaking the law. Oh, and they find that people are willing to behave differently when they're being embarrassed and shamed in a funny way than when they're being told what to do by obviously corrupt officials. So oh, huge, and that's also cultural, I bet, too. Yeah. He was yeah. very in tune with yeah. some of the assumptions that we have mm -hmm. about culture that you know are, are broken he, he did you know he brought the murder rate in the city down by 60 percent he uh, dropped traffic deaths by 75 percent he got corruption out of the city he really transformed the city so if we um, get mayor de blasio to move let's not let's not please <laughs> I'm, I, 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 this is like uh, okay the visual here everybody please keep your hands on the wheel as you're driving and, and don't repeat this please Oh my gosh! Come JG, on, JG. What? What? You have a gift? I. I oh, oh, come I'm on! Thinking, I'm not giving. Don't you, be thinking oh, about the moon. The no. Okay. Listen, listen. Oh my God. JG, keep your pants on. Wait, wait. <laughs> yes, yes, keep my pants on. <laughs> Listeners, hurry up! Email Deirdre. She will send you. If you're one of the first five, she will send you a book. It's a great book. By, yes, it's Jonah's book. Jonah's book. Yes. yes. <laughs> Unsafe thinking. And remember, don't do this while you're driving thinking about pulling down your pants. Please don't do that. And if you'd like my email address so DK. that you can email me yes. to get Jonah Sachs's book, Unsafe Thinking. Oh, he, JG's too busy. DK at <laughs> gutwisdom, G-U-T-W-I-Z-D-O-M.com. Ton of wisdoms in there. We're coming back with Jonah. Jonah, you are amazing. Happy to have you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get the news you need whenever and wherever you need it. Follow WCBS on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can even listen to WCBS on your phone with live streaming and audio on demand with the CBS local app. Stay connected with your favorite news radio station all day long. When you need to know, WCBS has you covered. Stepping into the unknown looks different for everyone. Tonight, no matter how you step into the unknown, we're going to be talking about how you can question the conventional, challenge the status quo, and even how to unlock creative solutions that are right under your nose. Yes? Sound good? JG, what are you thinking? It's amazing when you really think about this that you're able to learn how to, you know, kind of challenge the way you're looking at things. Think out of the box to come up with new solutions, new creative ideas. And we're fortunate to have you in studio, Jonah. You know, this is going to be a lot of fun 
Jonah Sachs in studio with us. He is the author of Unsafe Thinking, and he's going to show us the way. I am JG, John Gassman, and we are here in studio with Deirdre Koppelman, the host of Gut Wisdom. Yes, we are. We're happy to have you here, listeners listening. Good, good wisdoms, good wisdoms. Who do you think can benefit, Jonah, from reading your book? Is it only the entrepreneur? No, you know, I think that we um, are, when we're in a large organization, for instance, uh, you know, we often have this feeling that we're in a, a time warp or in a strange uh, alternate universe where certain things make sense from within the company, but um, don't really make sense when we step back. And But it's just the way, the groupthink of the organization. And whether we're a you know top-level leader or someone who's new on the team and at the bottom of the totem pole on a team, we have these opportunities to break that spell of conformity and get people around us to think differently. Um, so yeah, it's great for entrepreneurs, I think, to think in this way. But I think that anyone who's trying to kind of step up and be a creative MVP of their team at any level, um, it's helpful for. And then someone who runs a large organization, you know, you can redesign an organization to be a, a safe place to get unsafe, as I said before. So, you know, it's probably a, a big fail to say this book is for everybody, but you know, different stages of your career, it can yeah. really help. Level up. If you want to level up, to mm. the next notch. Yeah. How do you like that? I do. This is what you have to read to get there because the old way of thinking, the old way of doing things, sticking to the routine isn't really going to get you to the top of the ladder anymore. Well, I have and that's such a I love what you just said, JJ. I have a Yeah. All right, seriously. Calm down. So, keep your pants let's off. Let's take this from business for a second to personal life. All of us go through changes in our personal lives, whether we want them or not, we ask for them or not, we create them or not. How does the book or thinking unsafely in our personal lives work? Or is this, or do you, or can you apply it? What do you think, Jonah? Yeah. I mean, I think that again, one of the things I talked about before is, is moving towards those things that make you feel uncomfortable. JG was talking earlier about something that, that I think is really applicable to personal life, which is, you know, sitting in a different chair. And, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that makes people most creative is doing things that they're terrible at. And very few, as we become adults, as kids, we're always doing things that we're terrible at. And that's just like, part of life. Right. And, and, and society lets us be terrible. As we become adults, we get more and more specialized in what we do, where we spend our time, how routinized it becomes. And, um, you know, all the science shows that people become more creative just by living f abroad for six months mm -hmm. or by picking up a hobby way outside of the, the world that they know. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is because we have these entrenched knowledge networks where everything kind of starts to fit a pattern. And when we step into a, a world and do things that we're really bad at and confuse us, it starts to break up those knowledge networks a little bit. We start to bring back, if you've ever like taken a dance class and then you weren't good at it, but you come back to your job as a fashion designer, suddenly you have sort of new ideas about fashion design that are analogous. You start using these analogies with dancing all of a sudden, even if you never master dancing. Interesting. Or singing lessons or drawing. These are new skills. You know, Steve Jobs very famously brought his love, his amateur love, of uh, Zen design, you know, uh, Zen aesthetics to computers. That's a wild idea, very generative. So you get outside of that, get in that different chair and try things that you're bad at or you don't, you're unfamiliar. You get, you loosen your ego up, you get more comfortable with failure and you start to get these analogies that you can bring back to the life that you're more comfortable in. That can work at any point uh, that, for anyone. That is a great wisdom. Whether you deal with change well or not, 
uh, whether you have anxiety or fear of change or, you know, in your own personal life, just to push yourself to grow a little bit. What a wisdom. Take anything, do something that you're probably not going to be very good at, but maybe that you're interested in. I want to add one thing to that, which is don't do it on the internet. Um, So (laughs) it turns out that there's these interesting studies that when people encounter ideas that don't fit with their way of thinking on the internet, um, especially their most cherished ideas, when they encounter counterfactual information to those ideas, they tend to get even more sure of themselves when they read it on a blog mm. um, or see it on, the, on Facebook huh. or something like that. It's, it's um, you know, they, they snap back even more. It's called the backlash effect. Um, and so, but when you encounter another person who's really different than you and you connect on a sort of more human level, that's really different. So going out to a class or a community that's outside of your comfort zone is is much more effective uh, for all kinds of psychological reasons than surfing the web and going to some websites that you haven't been to before, for instance. Got so, it. So okay, get real good, about it. Good point. Good I'd point. love to hear from our listeners. What are the unique things that they do that sort of takes them out of the comfort zone? Or what they Sky- will do. Yeah. May, maybe try skydiving. Remember, I tried that once, and uh, yeah. after I did it, boy, I had a whole new... I, I was scared out of my mind. And then after I landed, I was like, I can't wait to do it. And I was so invigorated, I shared it with a lot of people. My daughter ended up doing it. Other people I mean, started I, I doing would, it. I, yeah. I, I don't know that I would do... I don't know that I would jump out of a plane, even though my though daughters the point, have. Though the point of bringing this up is, it made me see things from a very different perspective. You know, it made me think about, you know, don't stay in your little box get out of your comfort zone do something that's scary that's fearful i wouldn't say jumping out of the plane for right, everybody right. but you know do take a class or even Try. or even travel right i don't it's so it, it it may be a class i think that's a great idea because that's a skill and that's <coughs> forcing you to fail at something or not be so great at something um i mean i've always noticed when i've traveled someplace and I could even see it on my kids when they did study abroad, for example, and you'd go to JFK International Terminal and wait for them to come off. There was a different look on their faces. Like, yeah. you could see that they had seen things. And, the experience. And, yeah. So you're not going to fail at travel, but that certainly is, you know, go someplace that, you know, isn't common or isn't, uh, you know, uh, the typical, I think, if you don't want to try something that's new. Would yeah. that work? Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, living abroad for six months is really shown to uh, to open up all kinds of creative abilities that we don't get if we stay in the same place all the time. So what's another good first step for somebody who's never really gotten out of their comfort zone? Uh, they're kind of like stuck in their routine and their rituals. Yeah. You know, I think I think storytelling is incredibly important in this. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about reframing, reframing anxiety reflecting on the moments in your life that were the most generative um, is a huge step. You know, what what happened in those times where creativity was unleashed? And you, you wind up confronting that those were, not all of us are unsafe, but you wind up confronting those moments where you did get a little unsafe and you start to reframe it as a, as a major source of rewards. I had the great fortune um, of being able to research a whole book about this. Um, so I had you know, many, many hours and hundreds of conversations. But I would say that um, role models are so psychologically important, actually. There's a lot of interesting science on in how role models um, change the way identifying with a person, not just an idea, change the way we think. Mm. So you know, talk to that person in your life who is a little unsafe. Who's your role them, model? Who's my role model? Well, you know, I, 
I walked away from this uh, with with two. I walked away from this book with two role models. Um, so mine are always changing. But from this experience, you know, Helena folks at CVS because she brought that amazing, um, you know, radical change, radical change yeah. based on brilliant thinking and really straightforward commitment to an ideal. So her, she was one of them. And then, you know, Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, my hometown coach, um, you know, he shared some really amazing insights with me about how, you know, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I don't know if you remember him on the Chicago Bulls, but, you know, couldn't miss. But he was terrified that he didn't actually belong in the league. And so he would always pass off the big shot because he never wanted to be exposed as a fraud, which he thought he was. And it wasn't until Michael Jordan had a flu that, uh, you know, the ball got dished to him in the NBA Finals <coughs> and he, he hit the big three. Yeah. And he took that experience not to self-aggrandize himself and put it all behind him. He took that experience in an empathetic way so that when he came to the Warriors, who were a good team but not a championship team, to realize that these guys were under tremendous pressure. And he yeah. didn't want anybody on his team to ever go through what he went through. So he started telling his story and making that locker room an ultimately safe place so that when they were on the court, they could get unsafe. Yeah. And just that kind of, um, you know, you think as a coach, you got to yell and you got to blow that whistle and you got to scare people into, you know, and just the way that Steve talked about his coaching was so uh, human and empathetic and huh. wise. Uh, you know, I coach, I coach eight-year-old baseball and, uh, you know, I strive to be as, as, as good as Steve Kerr for those so guys. So you just said something that I think is totally authenticity authenticity uh, <laughs> and connectivity well bigger than that bigger bigger than that very Huge. very powerful so here's a coach and if i heard you correctly jonah who created a safe environment for his players in the locker room because he was humble he was empathic right he didn't want them to have any more stress shared his story so he was vulnerable but he created a safe place for them so that in order for them to go out on the field and play a little unsafe, that is powerful. Yeah, it's what great leadership is about, I think, in a lot of ways. Totally. And it's why um, some of these really creative-looking organizations that you think, you know, they're so, f they're so free-flowing and wild and they're, you know, these, like, these, these uh, t tech ventures, they kind of collapse under their own weight because when things are too out of control and there isn't enough thought to the human element, it, the creativity can't last. People get too stressed out. Yeah. Um, and it's too dog-eat-dog -dog and it's too confusing. And so it takes a lot of self-awareness to, to balance that creativity and self-awareness. Man, that is not easy. But when you do it, you become an amazing leader. So if you're really great at creativity, maybe invest a little bit more in your self-awareness. And if you're really great at self-awareness, you know, start to get a little more creative and get out of that you know, comfort zone a little bit more because um, I think everyone should strive to that combination. How do people find you? Uh, JonasSachs.com, so S-A-C-H-S, um, and at JonasSachs on Twitter. Um, and I'm really, you know, in this phase of loving to hear from my readers and, uh, and loving to interact. So, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Good. And we have five of your books to give away generously. Gut Wisdom's got some gifts. If you would like a copy of Jonah Sachs's book, uh, Unsafe uh, Thinking, Unsafe Safely, Safely Unthink. Uh, it's already printed. We're not changing the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's unsafe thinking. I'm just kidding. Uh, email me at dk at gutwisdom, G-U-T-W-I-Z-D-O-M dot com. We've got five copies. That's it. Five. Not while you're driving. Well, only four because I took one of the copies and started reading <laughs> it and highlighting. And I'm actually going to put something on Goodreads. I like to do summaries and put them on Goodreads. So oh, if that's okay and with our you, Gut Wisdom LinkedIn Marketplace. Yeah. yeah please. Yeah. Totally. Yes. What you want to, what I know you have that look, JJ. I'm 
Well, it's you know, it's it so resonates. The topic is so so real for me because especially where I am, you know, it it gives me the opportunity to think a little differently about what I want to do next. Playing it unsafe with some boundaries though. <laughs> Interesting. I, I have more questions for JG. So we yeah. want to give a big thank you, of course, to Jonas Sachs for joining us tonight, as well as huge gratitude to our listeners. Thank you for your gut wisdom loyalty. Of course, big hugs to our partners at WCBS Radio for all of your hard work. Barbara, you're always here. And Tim Sheld and Bill and Tom and all of you. Thank you for your hard work and support of gut wisdom. And until uh, next time, we have a couple of seconds left. JG, you you. I'd love to hear from our listeners on this topic. So reach out to us on Facebook. Check us out on social media. If you're not following us on Instagram, we're constantly posting fun stories about what goes on daily at gut wisdom. Check it out. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. We're there. Twitter. You're so funny. So usually we say have a gut wisdom something kind of a week. I don't want to say an unsafe week, so I'm going to say out of of the box. You go ahead and you have an out of the box week. There you go. You've been listening to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. Gut Wisdom comes your way every Saturday night at 7 p.m. on WCBS 880 or anytime at gutwisdom.com. That's wisdom spelled with a Z.